More memories are made when you're there for live NFL action. And when you need tickets, Ticketmaster's got you covered. As the official marketplace of the NFL, Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you 360-degree previews of your section to make sure you have the best views of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change, Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com NFL. Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 4 for 4 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. And joining me today, friend in life, in the cave, doing projections for everyone ahead of a big week for none other than the man himself, John Paulson. Paulson, how's it going? I'm doing pretty well. I'm surprised you didn't uh, tease me about my attire today. Like This is the first time that I've worn a jersey uh, on the on the live stream, but I I got my Jordan Love jersey last week, uh, and uh, I'm sporting it today because it's game day. Just happy, just be like, just be uh, thankful that I didn't pull out my son's cheese head because it doesn't fit quite right, and it leaves a mark on my on my head. As someone who supports big hats, I would have absolutely supported cheese heads and whatever props you have. I'll give you today. I'll allow you to be biased since it is game day for you, and. We have to get right into that one because there's a lot of questions about players participating tonight. Before we begin, reminder, still not too late to join with all of the rankings, the projections everyone's using, the DFS content we have, the weekly waiver wire that's still popping every single week in depth for everyone at 44.com by using the promo code YouTube for 25% off. Not a monthly price, 25% off for the rest of the season. One time promo code YouTube, get in there. And we're going to discuss and preview a lot of those rankings today, including tonight's Thursday night matchup between the Packers and the Lions. And let's begin with the Packers side of the ball because per most reports coming out, I'll just stick with rap sheet over at NFL Network. It sounds like both Christian Watson and Aaron Jones after limited practices will be available tonight. So now everyone dives into their roster and says, okay, where do I rank these players? And let's begin with Christian Watson because he's a tough one to figure out if he's even limited in this game. Yeah, uh, I think the the language that was throwing me a little bit off today was the uh, their workloads will be managed or, you know, possibly limited snaps. You know, I don't know if that's accurate or not. That might be it's a little bit of gamesmanship. The Packers tend to be uh, very conservative with their injuries, and they don't roll anybody out there that they don't feel is 100% healthy. Now, Dobbs did play week one and was a bit limited, so that we might see something like that where Watson normally uh, is playing 80 90% of the snaps, and tonight he's playing 60 or 70% or even less, uh, just to sort of protect them, I guess. But this is a key game, and not at all shocking that they sat out after limited practices last week uh, ahead of the Saints game and to come out and play a few days later uh, in this one because I think the Packers know that this game is more important than the week three game against the Saints. 
And I think they're going to pull out all the stops in order to 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 get the win. I have Watson uh, ranked right now at thirty four. Uh, it's it's dicey with him because he's you know coming off the long layoff. He's got a brand new quarterback. We haven't seen the two play together a whole lot. Uh, but when he's on the field, he's the fastest player on the field. They often take deep shots with him. And uh, Jordan Love is has the highest a dot uh, average up to the target right now in the league. So. I'm sure there's going to be at least one or two deep shots to, to Watson tonight. So he's got a, you know, a low floor and a, and a high ceiling. I think, what about you? I'll be interested, interested to see how the target tree shakes out because we just don't know who really will emerge behind Watson. Assuming he's even the one who wins the team high in target share between Jaden Reed and Romeo Dobbs. So no answer there. I would start Watson over those two this week personally, but I think a lot of people are in situations where they have Christian Watson, Jerry Judy, Terry McLaurin, uh, Brandon Ayuk even, those kind of start sets as fringe wide receiver twos. And so it's really nitpicking when we're discussing who to start them over. I think it genuinely comes down to your own risk tolerance, you being the people listening at home and watching now, and whether you decide to run them out for a couple of big catches, since I'm assuming that's how they'll use them in this game. What about for Aaron Jones in a tough spot against the Lions front seven? Yeah, Detroit's uh, second in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, and we're going to start talking about that metric a lot because we rolled out uh, adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, using 2023 data starting this week. So now we have three weeks of data to, to go off of. And it's a little bit different than raw fantasy points allowed. We're able to adjust uh, fantasy points allowed for scheduled difficulty. So if a defense, uh, for example, faces three really tough running games in a row, uh, then they're getting credit for that uh, when it comes to their uh, strength of schedule uh, in terms of what kind of matchup they are for opposing running backs. So that is an apples-to-apples comparison, and we use that a lot now from week three on or week four on uh, at 444. So I just wanted to mention that. Detroit pretty tough in that metric second. Aaron Jones is the running game has not been going well the last couple of weeks with AJ Dillon. Uh, Aaron Jones should provide a boost there, uh, but they're probably going to make most of their gains in this game uh, through the air. And I think Jones will be able to contribute in that area quite a bit. So I've got him at RB 15 right now. Uh, it's, you know, high end RB two. There is some, you know, concern that he may be limited in his snaps. We might see a kind of a clunker game because we get those from him occasionally due to usage. Uh, but they know they need him to win this game. Uh, so I think they will use him. And I know the landscape at running back right now. So I'm sure fantasy managers have no choice but to need him as well. And we will talk about a lot of those running backs and what to do with them as we move game to game. On the line side of the ball, though, David Montgomery also expect to return. Montgomery, of course, averaged 18 and a half carries per game through the first two weeks before he got injured in week two. And that allowed Jameer Gibbs instead to step up for 72% of the backfield touches in week three. But I think we would expect Gibbs to go back into his pass catching role and Montgomery to return to his early down role. Where are you ranking Montgomery ahead of Thursday night? Yeah, if Montgomery's fully healthy, I could certainly see that. Right now, I've got him at 28. It's it's a tough ranking. Uh, Gibbs is at 16. The, the the Packers are actually a pretty good matchup for both players in terms. You know they 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 get gashed in the in the running game. It's kind of the the plan is to bend but not break uh, that defense and they let teams kind of get into the red zone and where the field's compressed and then they try to get their stops there. It seems they don't they don't spend a lot of time trying to stuff the run. Uh, 
it, it just doesn't seem. So I think that the, the that Gibbs and Montgomery are both viable plays. Um, I might have these two ranked a little closer together uh, by game time. It just depends on you know how Montgomery is looking and if we're getting any reports about his workload. If it's going to be the week one workload that we saw in Kansas City, he's, he's he's going to need to be ranked a little bit higher. And both tight ends, I would think extremely viable. Uh, the Lions allowing the third most fantasy points per game to opposing tight ends and Luke Musgrave's route participation has increased every single week. Same as Sam Laporta, the first tight end in NFL history to have at least five catches and his first three games as a rookie to start his career at his position. So two players I have the utmost confidence in. And again, whenever we're parsing matchups, which we basically are doing every single week from tight end seven, eight on, uh, I look at this matchup for both players, and I think I am starting both of them tonight. Any other things to clean up here before we move on? Yeah, I just would mention that Laporta, I have it four this week. He's he's a strong play, Musgrave um, at 11, and I'm a little less confident that Musgrave's uh, target share will be there due to the addition of, of Christian Watson, but he seems to be in the game plan every week for you know a four or five uh, target role, so he should be involved. Josh Reynolds also, quick note, was averaging, as we mentioned last week, 17.8 PPR points per game through the first three weeks. And then I think it's the injury he was dealing with as to why he was hampered in week three, popped up late on the injury report, and then, of course, just laid an egg in fantasy. But if you're desperate and 12-team super flex leagues, let's say you have one or two flexes, it's it's a situation where, sure, maybe I don't trust it as much, but I don't mind going back to them if I'm forced to, given some of the matchups that we'll talk about as we move along here. So let's begin with, where the hell's my doc? Oh, here it is. Okay, let's start. With the London game, because two Monday night football games is not enough, now we have to wake up early in the morning for the Falcons at the Jaguars. And by all accounts, Paulson, I understand everyone's worried about this, what has been miserable Jaguars offense, bottom two in EPA per play if you look at the advanced metrics, but it's not, hasn't been bad on film from Trevor Lawrence. It hasn't been bad uh, in other advanced stats from Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. What's really happening is his wide receivers letting him down. Calvin Ridley, another two drops last week, including a 30-yard touchdown. And now Zay Jones, it's only Thursday, but still banged up. It seems like we're going right back to two wide sets and really a concerted target tree between Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, and Evan Ingram. So your thoughts on the Jaguars offense this week? Yeah, I mean, I generally, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I have, a, you know, a general feeling that they're going to get this straightened out. I mean, I've you know, relative confident confidence and Doug Peterson. I think Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback. He has talented uh, receivers. They have a pretty good running game. Travis Etienne's playing well. He's a top five running back for me this week. Uh, so I, I do think this will get sorted out. I'm not too worried about them. Generally speaking, Atlanta's defense is okay. Um, they, you know, the Packers did well the first three quarters against them. Then the, the, the comeback for the Falcons last week, Detroit, uh, you know, beat them pretty handily. Um, but it's not like a special defense or anything. I think the the Jaguars could score some points in this one, so I'm, I'm fairly fairly optimistic, especially about like a a player like Christian Kirk, who maybe is a fringe receiver, wide receiver three type start under normal circumstances. But with Zay Jones out, I think he's a pretty solid wide receiver too. And makes it so much easier to trust all of them, Evan Ingram included, since the last two games. 
without Zay Jones now, Christian Kirk, as you mentioned, 20 targets, team high mark. Calvin Ridley, 16 targets. Evan Ingram, 15 targets. So much more to tr- easier to trust all three of them if Zay Jones is not involved. Not to mention Travis Etienne, who we don't even need to talk about in start-sit situations because he's just that good and getting 20-plus touches weekly. But we're really just waiting for the ceiling to pop off since it's still Tank Bigsby who has taken every single carry inside the five-yard line over Etienne to this point. On the other side of the ball, my waiver chats and Discord were filled with Drake London and Kyle Pitts' worries. For Kyle Pitts, it's frustrating, but it was also baked into the process the entire time. We talked about last year, or this offseason, how out of quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks, Desmond Ritter had the lowest catchable pass rate of all of them coming into the season. So, of course, these highlights that everyone sees on social media of Kyle Pitts getting overthrown, again, that was baked into the process when drafting Kyle Pitts. Now, I don't want to panic on either him or Drake London because we could still see Taylor Heineke. And if they get their doors blown off in London here, like that's a situation where we start transitioning to the next quarterback since the Falcons are still very live in the weak NFC South. Yeah, the Drake London stuff is uh it's it's tough because you you know he has the bad week one, you bench him, he might he he's he blows up and has a good week in week two, then has a disappointing week three. It's just I think this was the concern with the Atlanta passing game coming in. And I thought London would be a little bit more immune to it than Kyle Pitts in terms of the ups and downs. But since they, you know, London did do well with Desmond Ritter late last year, we had that to go off of. Pitts was out during that sp- span. So that's part of the issue, I think. Uh, right now, Pitts is leading the league in tight end air yards. Uh, but these are pretty much prairie yards with the with the low completion uh, or, you know, uh, accuracy on target numbers from Ritter. Uh, and interestingly, London is like 76th amongst receivers in air yards. So it's not like he's seeing a ton of uh, volume downfield like Pitts is. Uh, so I, I have London ranked as a wide receiver four right now until I mean, I'm just hoping that they do make a quarterback change or that Ritter could get things straightened out because it's just this passing game is not uh, good enough to support Bijan Robinson as a, their primary pass catcher and then London and Pitts as viable starts every week. Is it frustrating that London has just one more target than Matt Collins? Yes. Yes. Is it, fru- <laughs> is it frustrating that he has a depth of target six yards lower than Matt Collins? Yes. But at the same time, we're still betting on a talented wide receiver with the first round draft capital in his second year, uh, whose target share increased from four and a half percent in week one to 24% in week two. He's shown us he can earn a team high share of targets. So that's something I'm still banking on. Yes, I lack confidence in him right now. But also with the bye weeks right around the corner in week five, I think everyone forgets how tough they are. And we're already seeing how littered the league is with injuries. Drake London is someone we will absolutely be starting as a wide receiver three over the bye week. So we cross our fingers, we hang tight, and we don't lose faith since it's a long, long season. Also, before we move on here, still the utmost confidence in Bijan Robinson because he seems inevitable to this point. His route participation, 75% in every single game so far. That role is static. It doesn't go anywhere as the team's pass catching back. More importantly, his share of the team's running back carries have increased in every game. Uh, These past two weeks even, 54% and then a season-high 58% mark in week three. So we think he's slowly beginning to command everything, and he'll eventually get there. 
four, the Steelers at the Texans. Texans being three-point home dogs. Let's start with Najee Harris because everyone is rightfully concerned. Even last week, 19 carries and still just six and a half fantasy points. And that's the kind of way that looks, that's pretty much how it seemed to shake out for Harris. This offense as a whole, the Steelers are 31st in scoring drive percentage. They have just been absolutely terrible. And right now, I don't even know if the Texans are a get right spot since they are still playing tough defense. So what are you doing and how are you ranking Najee Harris? Uh, well, the Texans are 28th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back, so there's that. We could hang our head on that if we're trying to tell ourselves a story about Harris. I mean, I've got him ranked as an RB3. Uh, he doesn't have much of a role at all in the passing game anymore. He had one target uh, last week where Jalen Warren had four with the three catches for 23 yards. He is dominating carry still, 19-8 to eight last week. So I think we can see ourselves with a you know 18-carry 60 to 70 yards, if not a little bit more with a touchdown, you know, in a good scenario for Harris. I think he, he has to find the end zone at this point really to, to pay off in your lineup. But, you know, against the Texans, I think that's a decent possibility that that happens. What about for George Pickens? It seems like, again, it's going to be Calvin Austin and Pickens as the team's primary receivers. But right now, we are pretty much just hanging our hat on Pickens to catch a couple deep balls and Fryermuth to continue being involved. Yeah, I mean, I think with with Deontay out, you're seeing a shift in targets over to Pickens specifically. Fryermuth had the good game last week, but was really quiet the week before. But Pickens seems to be the the safe start here. Uh, but you know, Calvin Austin is a is an interesting dart throw and somebody that I'm you know trying to add in uh, some of my deeper leagues. Just to have him on the on the on the bench, uh, maybe start him here and there during the bye weeks if Deontay is still out because he's a talented guy and, and caught the long touchdown last week. On the Texan side of the ball, CJ Stroud QB eleven in fantasy points per game right now. Uh, no interception as he's also ninth in completion rate under pressure. No defense thrown at him has given him duress thus far. And what we've seen in the last two games without Noah Brown is slightly concerning for Nico Collins. Tank Dell, team high 23.6% target share, while also leading the team in routes run in that span. Robert Woods next up with 20.7% of the team's targets, and then Nico Collins down there at 15.6%, just ahead of useless Dalton Schultz at 13%. So your thoughts on Nico Collins moving forward and how you are parsing him with Tank Dell this week. I do have uh, Dell ahead of Collins this week. So I, I was pretty optimistic about Nico coming out of the first two weeks because he had two good games in a row, had the really, really strong week two, and then we had the quiet week three when Tank Dell went off. I have Dell at 26 this week, Collins at 27 and half PPR. So I do think they're both viable high-end wide receiver three types, and you could even see them as our you know wide receiver twos. But uh, certainly Dell over the last two weeks has really staked his claim in this offense and seems to be you know, becoming CJ Stroud's favorite target. And I think after the first two weeks, we might've said that, oh, that's Nico Collins. So I think, I think they'll both have their big games here and there. Maybe it won't be as predictable as we would hope, but this passing game is a lot better than we were probably expecting. I mean, I think heading into the season, we were thinking, well, there'll be a lot of volume, uh, but do they really have the horses, you know, to, to play? And Nico was an intriguing like 10th round 
11th round draft pick. And, you know, I have him on a couple teams and I'm happy to have him. Uh, but we were, I don't think we were expecting CJ Stroud to be quite as good as he has been as a rookie. Uh, I think there were some, certainly some indicators that he uh, was the best rookie of this class, but for a rookie to come in, you know, struggled a little bit in week one against the the Ravens, but had two really strong games back to back. Uh, and now heading into a pretty good matchup with the Steelers, who have been bad defensively pretty much against the run and the pass. Um, I think it's a pretty good spot for him in uh, Superflex Leagues as a QB2. If someone had the choice tonight, since rest of season, we still don't quite know how Jordan Love and C.J. Stroud will fare. Uh, who would you start in week four? I'm, I'm starting Love tonight, but... Uh, maybe because I'm wearing the jersey. I think they're both. <laughs> yeah, I would say it may that may have been an unfair question to ask you. I have love at a 12, so I think this is going to be a pretty high scoring affair tonight. Uh, and I've got a Stroud at 19, so I think they're both you know QB two types. This the the quarterback rankings are a little weird this week with, um, you know, some of these QB twos not having great matchups like Deshaun Watson, um, but. You know, I think I have Love at 12, Wilson at 13, Daniel Jones at 14. So that's that type of group there. Uh, and uh, Stroud at 19. But I mean, it's hard to argue with Jordan Love's fantasy production thus far. And I think getting Christian Watson back is a, is a boost. More memories are made when you're there for live NFL action. And when you need tickets, Ticketmaster's got you covered. As the official marketplace of the NFL, Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you 360-degree previews of your section to make sure you have the best views of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change, Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com NFL. Prize Picks is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform and one of the most exciting ways to play DFS. And best of all, Prize Picks is simple. Just choose between two to six players and pick more or less than their Prize Picks stat projection. It's that easy. And you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. But it doesn't stop there. Prize Picks even offers in game projections. Imagine gathering at the house, watching football with all your friends, and building an entry to cheer for together, with more Devonta Smith receiving yards, or less Justin Fields rushing yards. Now, you can. Just go to prizepicks.com accurate, and use the promo code accurate to match your first deposit up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. Now, you can score even more pizza with your pizza. It's easy. Just order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame an hour before and three hours after scheduled NFL kickoffs and become eligible for instant win prizes. And best of all, you pick the toppings you crave. I attended a live Scott Fishbowl draft over the summer and was convinced by a listener to try Little Caesar's stuffed pretzel crust pizza with cheese sauce. And no hyperbole, it changed my life forever. Either way, everyone wins with Little Caesar's convenient delivery or their in-store pizza portal pickup. You can even pay for your pizza on the Little Caesar's app and have your friends grab it on their way over to your house. That's how you enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff.
Rams at the Colts has crept into a pick'em game. And it's probably because now that Anthony Richardson has missed what has become a mandatory one-game absent in the concussion protocol, and rightfully so, is expected back this week for the Colts in what could be a shootout between these two teams. So if Anthony Richardson is starting, most likely he becomes everyone's starter in one quarterback leagues. I'm throwing him right back in there. The point is, though, Paulson, that Zach Moss is still, in my opinion, an RB1. You can't handle 92% of the team's running back touches the past two weeks. Uh, this past game, 32 of 38 over Trey Sermon, and not be plugged in there, especially after your running quarterback comes back from a concussion. You would think if there's any game for the rest of the season that they don't let him bruise himself inside the 5-10 yard line. It's probably this first one back where he's still a little bit rattled. So I'm still very high on Zach Moss in this game. Yeah, that's an interesting point in terms of how careful they might be with Richardson around the goal line because, you know, initially when Richardson's back and I put him back into the rankings, uh, Zach Moss takes a big hit because he loses some rushing yards uh, and certainly some rushing touchdown upside given Richardson's presence. But, um, I, you know, he can't, you know, when I initially put in Richardson, Moss slipped to like 20, uh, but I moved him back up in terms of target share, rush share with, uh, the backup that's there behind him, uh, Trey Sermon, uh, just basically zeroed out Trey Sermon or close to zeroed out Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon gave Moss virtually every uh, running back touch in the backfield. So I have him at RB13. I, I wouldn't argue with him being a low-end RB1 this week just based on volume alone. I am a little concerned about the, the goal line carries, but you make a good point about Richardson perhaps being protected this week. And I don't think we lose Josh Downs just because Richardson coming back. Yes, Downs has been second on the team in targets from Gardner Minshew since week two, 25% target share with the Colts compared to Michael Pittman's team high, 31.2%. But remember, go back to week one from Richardson, and still Josh Downs had a 17.9% target share, was second on the team in targets behind Pittman. So I still think he's a sneaky slot play here if you're desperate in those deep flex leagues. On the other right. side of the ball, can I also add Kylan Granson as a you know tight end two type? Uh, You're getting really deep now. Yeah, I'm going deep. He actually has been pretty good this season. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to mention with Richardson is that they with in the it was basically a game and a quarter of his of him playing. They they basically had a 60 61 percent pass run split. So they're not they're not this super run heavy team like we thought or we heard that they might be where they were going to run the wishbone and all this. It's it's a, basically a normal offense right now with Anthony Richardson at quarterback where he's going to attempt 30-something passes per game if he, if he plays the whole game. On the other side of the ball, one of the many running backs we have questions about their workload and losing trust in slowly this week is Kyron Williams. I still consider Kyron a top 10 running back, RB1 for sure that I'm starting over players like Brian Robinson, David Montgomery, if they had that option. But the fact that even Sean McVay came out and said he wants to get other running backs involved, quote, beyond Kyron Williams, I don't know who those players are. Let's start there. Because so far, Ronnie Rivers, the past two weeks, has one touch. Kyron has out-touched him 31 uh, to 1 and has 17 targets in that span. Not to mention that Everyone in like the best ball world has been high on day three rookie Zach Evans, but the Rams promoted Royce Freeman instead from their practice squad ahead of Monday night over Zach Evans. So they seem to have a preference there with Freeman. 
but will Freeman and Rivers really steal touches in this backfield? I can't imagine so. So for the time being, I still want to count on that workload for Kyron personally. Yeah, I have him at 10. I completely agree. Uh, I believe it when I see it, McVay uh, go away from uh, Kyron Williams. Uh, I, he's always been one to not really run a committee and to, to have a bell cow whenever he has a guy he trusts. So uh, again, I'll believe it when I see it. The The Colts have been pretty good against the running back position, uh, 3.1 yards per carry allowed to running backs, uh, but 104 total yards, actually 100, 105 total yards on average allowed to the position 27, 28 touches uh, by opposing backfields on average. So there's plenty of work here. Even if another player comes in and steals five or seven touches, uh, there's still plenty of work for Kyron Williams, I think, in this game. Where do you have Puka Nakua ranked after last week's floor performance? Because there have been a lot of complaints. And I will just tell you, if you're complaining about a 21% target share and 70 receiving yards, that means Puka has made it as a weekly wide receiver too. Yeah, uh, the the Colts are 27th in just a fantasy points allowed to receivers. Yes. This is a deep. This is a defense that we're targeting uh, as far as pass catchers. No problem with Nakua. I mean, didn't have the greatest game, but he still went over 70 yards. Just didn't have the eye gouging, uh, eye mind boggling target shares that he had in the first couple of weeks. But you know, he's still the wide receiver one right now for this Rams team, and he's so he's a low end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two in my rankings. Still very high on Tutu Atwell as well. TMI, 28% target share this past game. And Sharp Football's Rich Rebar brought something to my attention that had slipped past me entirely. And it's still very early, so I don't want to weigh it too much. But we may slowly be seeing some extreme splits, like we talk about with Gabe Davis, Christian Kirk, the list goes on, about man and zone coverages and how players perform. There may be something in the air that we need to look at for Puka here because so far he's only earned 15% of his targets against man coverage and he's averaging more than two yards per route run against it. Last week was the first time that Puka on Monday night against Lou Anarumo and the Bengals was actually pressed for a majority of his snaps at the line of scrimmage. The Bengals also ran out a high rate of man coverage and Puka struggled, hence the quote-unquote floor game he reached. The Colts showed us last week also as a team that ran 75% of their defensive snaps from zone coverage in weeks one and two, they actually flip-flopped to half and half in week three given the matchup. And so if that's the case and they flip-flop here and throw some man coverage at Puka, maybe just something for us to monitor moving forward. But for the time being, I think it's very clear that it's 2-2 and Puka Tyler Higby slipped in there with 70 yards last week, but still fourth on the team in target. So a tight end we can play in matchups. Where do you have him ranked this week? Uh, Higby I have at 14. I've been moving him around a little bit. I think coming off of his good game last week, uh, he came in a little bit high, and I wasn't really comfortable with him at 10 or 11. But I think 14, 15, and that high-end uh, tight end two range is pretty good. Uh, for him, he's just... You know, we thought he was going to see 100 plus targets, but it's, he's just, he's just now he's feeding on scraps after Nakua and Tutu Atwell at this point. So uh, he's just kind of a guy you can play in good matchups. And, and Indianapolis is 18th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to, to tight end. So it's not a bad matchup. To the Vikings at the Panthers, I'm actually quite upset because I thought we were getting Andy Dalton. And if we got Andy Dalton, this game was going to go over, it was going to be fun but it sounds like Bryce Young is striving to play. And if that's the case, 
I go back to worrying about the Panthers offense as a whole because it just has zero juice with Young under center right now. Young, who of course is 31st to completion rate from a clean pocket on the season. And we know exactly how Brian Flores will play him because so far through three games, the Vikings have ranked top two in blitz rate and all three contests. They sent the house at Herbert on 86% of his dropbacks. They have no other way to play. And if you're sending the house at Bryce Young, then of course he will continue to struggle. So your thoughts on Adam Thielen and DJ Chark, since that's who we're trying to squeeze in here. Yeah, Thielen, uh, you know, with Dalton at quarterback, I mean, we're going to have to change the projections if if Young is going to be back in. I think Dalton gives you a, a certain floor, especially against a team like the Vikings, uh, who are 27th to just a fancy points allowed to quarterbacks. Uh, I was sort of intrigued by Thielen and, you know, with, with Dalton at quarterback in a revenge game uh, for him. Uh not playing in Minnesota, but at home, uh, maybe takes a little bit of the steam out of that. But, you know, the, the Vikings are 30th in adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, to uh, receivers. And Thielen did have a good game in week two uh, with Bryce Young at quarterback, although it wasn't a huge, huge yardage day because I don't think we can expect uh, Young to go for huge, huge yardage days at this point. And I just wonder, the Panthers, are they already regretting not taking Stroud ahead of Bryce Young? Maybe it you know, the, the Texans finishing and, and getting that number two pick, it turned out to be a, a boon for them. Just like the Bears probably regretting that they did not do anything with the number one overall pick and still are the same team. We'll get to the Bears in a bit. Uh, for the Vikings, the target tree is honed in. Jordan Addison is a player waiting to erupt. His route participation has increased in every single game, although KG Osborne has still run more routes in every game. But it seems inevitable that he will eventually happen, continues to be a weekly flex option, especially because since the Panthers lost J.C. Horn in week one, they're allowing over eight yards per attempt through the air. I talked about Kyron Williams, the concern about his workload. I think I personally go back to that with Alexander Madison. 86% of the team's running back touches last week, but still just quote-unquote just, the RB10 um, with no touchdowns. Cam Akers expected to be active in this game. So where are you at in your concern meter right now with Akers perhaps cannibalizing some touches this week? Yeah, I mean, uh, Madison, when you look at the box score, had the, had a good game. Like, he seems like he responded to the to the Akers trade and did well last week. He did. I know he had a fumble that did not get called a fumble. Uh, so those that watch the game, or, you know, I see a lot of, you know, Alexander Madison's terrible type talk on Twitter. Okay, but he's still the RB1 right now, as we know it. The, the Panthers uh, have allowed 4.59 yards per carry to the running back position. They've given up about 148 uh, total yards on average to opposing backfields with 2.33 touchdowns per game to running backs. Uh, so if the Vikings want to run the ball, they should be able to have some success, even if it's if it's Acres uh, alongside Madison, or if it's just Madison basically as the lead back with Acres sprinkling in, which is be my guess with Acres, you know, being only in, in Minnesota for a week, I would not expect him to take over. It does sound like uh, Kevin O'Connell is a little bit irritated with the ball security of Madison, and I don't know that Acres is necessarily going to be the solution to that because he's got as many uh, fumbles but in a lot less carries uh, so um, I'm I, right now I'm still rolling Madison out uh, as an RB2 but I'm certainly a little less confident than I was last week when Akers was inactive I mean th there is that chance that 
either something happens uh, early in the game where Madison puts another ball on the ground, he's not running well, and then they just kind of hand the keys to Akers and maybe he takes over. But there's also, it's such a good matchup uh, that I think Ma- Madison, if he does get the first four or five carries, is going to have some success there and earn playing time throughout the game. For the Buccaneers and Saints, another running back returning in Alvin Kamara. And the red carpet has practically been rolled out for him. No Jamal Williams, who's on IR. Both Kendry Miller and Tony Jones splitting carries last week. But I would imagine with Derek Carr also expected to miss this game that they lean on Kamara and some combination of Taysom Hill instead. So where do you have Kamara ranked in his return? I've got him at 20. And I, you know, I think that's slightly low uh, compared to consensus. I think he's a fine uh, RB2, especially given the landscape that we have, uh, you know, probably has a pretty high touch floor relative to some of these other guys in that same range. I mean, I, you probably feel pretty confident about Kamara uh, in terms of touches over a Madison, uh, you know, maybe over a Gibbs, even with, with Montgomery back. Uh, so there's that. Uh, the Buccaneers have been um, kind of up and down against the running back position. They, they're, they're giving up 4.98 yards per carry. Uh, they gave up 173 yards to the Philadelphia running backs uh, last week, but they did a pretty good job against the the Bears. Uh, Khalil Herbert had 35. Roshan Johnson had 32. Did very good against the the Vikings in Week One. Uh, it was just Alexander Madison with 34 yards rushing. So it's been kind of a you know Jekyll and Hyde type of a defense uh, for the for the Bucks. Um, so I think that the opening is there for you know a decent game here, but. Uh, it's going to probably require some receptions. And I'm curious to see if, if uh, James Winston is willing to check down to, to Kamara, um, you know, f- as frequently as Drew Brees did. I don't think he will ever, but maybe a few catches would really help uh, Kamara's floor. And I would think the Bucks play James Winston the same way they played him last year in week two. Uh, because they're playing defense the same way. They blitzed Winston on 40% of his dropbacks last season. They're blitzing at the league's third highest rate this year. And Winston had a high completion rate against them last season, but it's because he was dumping the ball off for 3.9 yards per attempt. If he plays the same way because they're blitzing his face off, I would think we get a lot of dump offs and catches for Kamara for a high floor. So I'm also going right back to Kamara. And I would play him in a vacuum over Rashad White. We're seeing Rashad White now, yet again struggle, 17 carries, 34 rushing yards on the ground. And after the game, when asked about it, Todd Bowles didn't mention Rashad White personally, but did say he's aware the running game is struggling right now. The issue is Sean Tucker has also been really bad running the ball. And they called Keyshawn Vaughn up, promoted him before the game. There were some a few reports about him from Jeremy Fowler, but that led to zero touches. Didn't matter at all. And so how are you sliding white into your rankings this week? Yeah, I've got him at 25. So he's a fringe RB2. It's a volume-based play, uh, just fairly high confidence in his touch floor. This is a a bad matchup for him. Uh, The Saints uh, only giving up 64, 65 yards rushing on average to opposing backfields. Uh, A.J. Dillon, 33 yards. Uh, Miles Sanders and Chuba Hubbard, Hubbard, uh, 59 yards. Derrick Henry had 63 yards. Uh, Ty J Spears had 27. So the Titans did sort of get some production, but not a ton. Uh, where it could be made is the receiving game. Patrick Taylor had 23 against them. Chuba Hubbard had 34. Derrick Henry had 56 yards. 
against them. So if White can make a play or two in the passing game, that would certainly help his cause. I just don't think there's going to be a lot of room to run against the Saints defense. And we know that Mike Evans continues to be inevitable. I tried calling my shot for Chris Godwin over him, but it doesn't matter when Mike Evans is playing for a contract and pissed off at the world. And it's not just the three touchdowns that's getting him there. These aren't flukes. It's a 30% target share and 49% of the team's air yards. The ball doesn't go anywhere but Mike Evans. So if that's the case, we just continue banking on him weekly. For the commanders at the Eagles, let's go to the Eagles side of the ball. Because now we've seen these last two games, whether they meant to do it initially or not, that DeAndre Swift has succeeded immensely in place of Kenneth Gainwell. Even this past week, it wasn't a timeshare. DeAndre Swift handled 76% of the team's running back carries and 74% of their touches overall through three quarters. And then when they were up 22-3 to in the fourth quarter, Kenneth Gainwell outcarried Swift 7-0. to just icing the game in what was a blowout. So we think if the Eagles are even competitive in this game or just putting it away, it's all DeAndre Swift. Yeah, Swift uh, has been so good running the ball the last two weeks. It's not shocking that they went to him as the lead back. Uh, it, you, put, you made a great point. I was going to make the same point about Gainwell's. If you just look at the end of game box score, it looks like there's a 50% timeshare, but... Uh, it was just basically the icing of the game. Uh, the game was in hand, so they didn't want to you know, rough up Swift, who has had uh, injury issues in the past, any more than they needed to. I think the only concern with Swift is that he's not going to sit here and you know run seven, eight yards of carry for the rest of the season. He hasn't been very involved as a receiver, even though we know he can do it. Uh, in general, the, the Eagles don't throw the ball to their running backs uh, a lot. So there's gonna be, I think there's going to be some clunkers here uh, with Swift, I don't know that, you know, this week against Washington, who's kind of a middling um, defense, Swift is, uh, you know, the matchup's 14, they're, they're 14th, the, the commanders are in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back. So it's not a special matchup. It's not a bad matchup. I think he'll continue to run well. He's pretty hot, and this is a good offensive line. So I think he's a, a fairly safe play. I just, you know, there's going to be some downside here at some point because he just doesn't catch the ball a whole lot. On the other side of the ball, because it comes down to what we believe game script will be, and it should be a good matchup. Both Mac Jones and Kirk Cousins against the Eagles average 49 pass attempts because the Eagles are quietly a pass funnel. Everyone's probably forgotten that since Jalen Carter had no issues finding Baker Mayfield within one second of snapping the ball. But the issue is Sam Howell now has clearly been struggling because he's been holding on to the ball too long. Uh, only one quarterback in the entire league is taking a sack rate over 13%, and that's Sam Howe at 16%. It's been miserable. Even a couple of those interceptions last week against the Bills were his fault trying to force the ball where it didn't need to be forced. And so if that's the case, we worry about Sam Howe, um, maybe even getting benched here in the next couple of games. So where do you stand on Washington's ancillary pieces right now in this game? Yeah, I mean, last week was a nightmare for Sam Howell, but I think in the two previous games, he was trending up. So I, it, it all depends on how much confidence that he has built up and how much capital he has built up with the commander's brass and how much they're going to mark him down for a one really bad game against the Bills. Do they have a plan of attack? Because uh, the, the Eagles are very likely to copy what the Bills did, did defensively. Uh, and do they have a counter to that? Because they clearly didn't last week. Um, 
I am sort of interested in Howell this week and maybe in a DFS sort of play with the, the pass funnel nature of this game. Uh, I think the, the Eagles are giving up 41 pass attempts against uh, compared to like 18 rush attempts. So if the commanders realize they are going to have trouble running the ball, I mean, they might try to run the ball early and establish Brian Robinson, but if he's getting two, three yards a pop, uh, they're going to have to throw the ball. This is also a game where the Eagles are likely to jump out to a lead, and that puts the Sam Howell and the, the commanders in a pass-heavy environment. I really think he could get there in garbage time uh, with some scrambles, uh, 40 pass attempts, and maybe you know, two, 230, 250 yards passing. And I think this is actually a pretty good spot to roll uh, Terry McLaurin out. Uh, you know, I think Dotson and... Uh, Curtis Samuel or more wide receiver four, wide receiver five types right now. But I, I do think McLaurin is a sort of a high-end wide receiver three this week. I'm still worried about the target tree and no one having success consistently weekly, given that it's Terry McLaurin, 17% of the targets, Dotson, 16%, Curtis Samuel, 12%. Logan Thomas also expected back this game when he uh, had seven targets in week two, I believe it was. Um no, it was uh, three and got injured. He had eight targets, 27.5% team high in week one. And so, yeah, I don't know if there is enough volume to go around despite the Eagles being a pass funnel. But if you believe in it for DFS, because that's really what we're talking about here, then you should go play in the large field tournaments because it will be very low rostered. And I'm not even saying I don't believe in it. Uh, it's just that, yes, Sam Howell, there's clearly an issue going on there. Where do you have Brian Robinson ranked? Because we also saw... Brian Robinson out-touch Antonio Gibson 10-4 to in the first three quarters. And then Robinson only played two snaps, didn't get a touch, while Antonio Gibson finished off the rest of the game in a blowout. Yeah, I mean, I think you're looking at uh, Robinson as a RB3 this week, given how much trouble he's likely to have uh, running the ball. Uh, and then if they do fall behind, do they turn the you know turn it over to, to Gibson as the pass-catching back in two-minute hurry up drill. Uh, so I, I think there's some concern there for him. He is very much the most likely running back to score a touchdown uh, in this offense. And if they do have success running the ball, it's probably going to be him. Uh, I just am not real optimistic about the commander's running game this, this week. A running game we are optimistic about is the Dolphins playing the Bills. And let's start there because we have to add context because Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan clearly will not be the RB1 and RB2 together every single week and not score four touchdowns each. But I have the utmost confidence in Miami moving the ball in this game. Uh, even if you take away Brees Hall's performance in week one, and remember, he had 109 yards on his first two carries. Don't look at what he's done since those two carries. But if you take away week one altogether, even the past two games, the Bills are 31st. Uh, the second most 10-yard runs. They still cannot stop the run. And that was against Josh Jacobs and Brian Robinson backfields. Now we get Moster and Achead. Uh, I'm worried about the Bills' defense in this game. So I still like them both. Where do you have them both ranked? This is an interesting one. If you look at our uh, Bills' defensive knowledge seeker report on the site and you can pull up all the running backs that have played against the Bills, there are some wild ones here uh they've they've given up on average 5.57 yards per carry to running backs uh 131 total yards to to backfields on average but they've had it like the, the, you mentioned josh jacobs they actually had a good game against him nine carries negative two yards against jacobs 
four for 22 for Zamir White. So, you know, the, the Raiders only attempted 13 rushes. And that's the, that's where the Bills are sort of getting by right now is that teams aren't sticking with the run against them. Uh, Brian Robinson had 10 for 70. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, kind of got benched in the fourth quarter just due to the nature of the game. In week one against the Jets, we have Brees Hall with his 10 for 127 uh, running the ball, but Dalvin Cook was 13 for 33, 2.54 yards per attempt. So it's really, depending on the player here, the only two that have really gone off against them are Brees Hall and Brian Robinson. Still, we have a lot of confidence in the Dolphins running game. We saw what Mostert and A-Chain did last week. They're going to be able to run the ball. Uh, um, so this is one of those teams where I think they're going to stick with the run and uh, have a lot of success against the Bills. And it was a timeshare. I think that's most important to cite about their usage because in the first half, when they're still playing all starters, it's not a blowout just yet, although they just kept on putting points on Denver. A-Chan had 10, touch, 10 carries to Mostert 7, and Mostert out-touched A-Chan 13-11. to 11. You Like we asked, where was the target share going to go? And in that game, Tyreek Hill had 39% of the targets, and the running backs totaled 39% of the targets. Jalen Waddle will be back this game. Everyone's starting him. We don't even have to worry about that question. But that's the target tree now. It's not Durham Smythe or Julian Hill who ran more routes than Smythe. It's not Braxton Berrios or River Craycraft. Craycraft, you got injured in that game. It is Tyreek, Jalen Waddle, and the running backs. So we have the utmost faith in four players alongside Tua in this offense. And that's the most important part to me. I think the interesting thing coming out of that Denver game, not, you know, obviously the 70 points was very interesting, but, you know, I was watching the the box score and I, it was very interesting to see Mostert with all these catches early and A-Chain with more carries because I think heading into the season, we were expecting the flip. Like we were expecting A-Chain to be the pass catcher and Mostert to be the primary between the tackles, uh, you know, outside runner as well. So for that to flip, uh, obviously Mike McDaniel saw something he could expose uh, a chain rushed uh, 18 times for 203 yards. Um, they scored so many touchdowns. They both had four touchdowns each. Um, obviously, not going to see that, and I don't think we're ever going to see a team score 70 and then be a an underdog the following week like we are this week. I would personally start a chan as some people have questions over easily over Najee Harris, easily over Damian Pierce. I put him ahead of Alexander Madison personally for me since I have questions about Madison's workload with Akers active, uh, especially in this game with the highest total, 54 points on the board. I'm taking fewer touches. We think fewer touches for HN compared to all those guys who, in my opinion, do not have a ceiling that is worth chasing anyhow. That's how I'm playing it, but I also play fantasy football a little more risk tolerant than, or a little less risk tolerant than a lot of people. On the Bills side of the ball, we also saw last year that Miami had no answer for Josh Allen. A different DC, but blitzed him on 30% of his dropbacks in their first matchup. He averaged nine yards per attempt through for two touchdowns against the blitz. Scaled it back in week 15, only blitzed him on 70% of his dropbacks, and he averaged 13 yards per attempt with four touchdowns against man coverage, which they ran at the league's highest rate that week. And then, of course, they get to the wild card. They go back to sending the house at him, and he averages 9.9 yards per attempt for seven first downs and a touchdown. They had zero answers. We've seen Vic Fangio throw different coverages, blend everything across the board. He hasn't blitzed to the top 10 rate. He's throwing zone and man at them across the board. But were you ranking Gabriel Davis for this matchup? Since we also 
The touchdowns have been there the past two games, but he still hasn't seen a 20% target share in any contest. These past two weeks, he's really just getting there on those touchdowns. And you have a you have a Gabe Davis zone man split take yes. on this as well. Uh, Except Miami I can't predict only, the defense, so I don't know. Well, Miami's you know ran forty three percent zone so far uh, according to the numbers that I have, so they're a little uh, below average on the percentage of zone. Um, Gabe Davis just is like Mister Touchdown Scorer. I mean, he's a decent bet to score a touchdown every week. Um, but volume is not going to be there. So you're going to get some clunkers and that's why he's so divisive in fantasy circles. Cause he's pissed so many people off because he's had uh bad games when he doesn't blow up, he has a bad game. Uh, so, uh, I have him, you know, ranked as a wide receiver four type. Um, this is an interesting spot for him though, because this could be a very high scoring game. If Josh Allen has success against Vic Fangio's defense, there's a good likelihood that he's going to score another touchdown. I just, he doesn't have that target floor that Stefan Diggs obviously has that makes him such a, a, a safer start than, than Gabriel Davis. I also like Dawson Knox over Dalton Kincaid. The Dolphins have allowed five catches and a touchdown to the Chargers in week one. They allowed Hunter Henry and Mike Jasicki to combine for 11 catches, 85 yards, and a touchdown. And we don't count Adam Troutman as a human being, so don't just ignore what he did last week on 78% of routes. But the point is that the way Dalton Cade is being used is pretty much the worst for any fantasy tight end. A useless player right now with a four-yard depth of target. And Knox and Kincaid have run the same exact number of routes. And it's Knox, of course, as the tight end who was only behind Mark Andrews and end zone targets the past two years coming into the season. It's Knox who has three end zone targets tied for the team lead. So Knox is still the player to start over Kincaid until we get different usage for Kincaid since the Bills could have just drafted a slot receiver. I have no idea why they chose to draft a tight end instead. But for James Cook, the issue is that we can't get his ceiling so far because he has one career carry inside the five-yard line. Both Damian Harris and Latavius Murray have outcarried him inside the 10-yard line to date. So where are you ranking James Cook in this matchup? I have him as a low-end uh Running back one, uh, 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, the, the the Dolphins are. So this is a great spot for him. Uh, the touches have been there. We, you know, if we would look back and, oh, he's getting 17 touches in week three, I think we'd feel great about that. On the season, he's got um, 54 touches total. And we knew this heading in. It was going to be an issue around the goal line. He, he wasn't. They weren't going to slam him uh, into the line to try to score short touchdowns. It's going to be Latavius Murray, I think, ahead, even ahead of uh, Damian Harris. But they're both of them are being used. So I think this is a big yardage game, big touch game for Cook. But he, you know, for him to hit his ceiling, he really needs to score a touchdown from, you know, outside the red zone because he's not getting a whole lot of work. I think he did get one carry from the three. Last week, if I remember correctly, and only gained a yard, and then Latavius Murray, I believe, punched it in. So he did get an opportunity inside the five. He just wasn't able to, to cash in. That was his first career one. Yeah, that's where he gets it from. Uh, for the Bengals at the Titans. Let's begin with the Titans because, yes, DeAndre Hopkins is still hitting, sitting here with his 24% target share, but it is not mattering whatsoever as this Titans offense just continues to be absolutely dreadful so where do you have hopkins ranked on the week uh fairly low i have him at wide receiver 36 so he's sort of in that uh struggling group of chris godwin dj moore 
uh, maybe Jerry Judy, that type of where you know they're they're you know the good players, but can we count on them based on quarterback situation, uh, target shares, etc.? Uh, so you know, just sort of you know against Cincinnati, this is an interesting game. Um, I expect Cincinnati to throw the ball a lot. There could be some points scored on their end. So does that force the Titans to sort of open things up a little bit and attempt some more passes? He is getting a good target share, but he's just kind of a, you know, volume-based wide receiver three right now. You're not expecting any, you know, 100-yard games from him or anything at this point. And if he does get more target share, yeah, like, what is happening from Ryan Tannehill? Does it even matter anymore? That's that's really what I'm trying to figure out. And a lot of my high stakes leagues, Chigo Conca was dropped, and it just wasn't even worth it to pick him up because you can't you can't even use him. Like when would you ever play him? So they're just down so bad right now, and that trickles down to Derrick Henry, who also has never been more game script prone his entire career. Henry ran six routes last week. They don't even keep him on the field since Tajay Spears is right there with 18 touches in two games. So I too am worried about Derrick Henry. How do you see this matchup faring for him? Uh, Cincinnati's been kind of gashed by the running back position, uh, although the uh, they're just in, from in terms of adjusted fantasy points allowed, it's their third. So you know they've done a pretty good job overall. I think Henry, um, and you mentioned it, is the, the the concern here. I mean, he led the league in yards per route run last year, running backs. Uh, and I know he's not a high volume guy, but it's absolutely worth it to give him a pass once a quarter and on a screen or a dump off and give him an opportunity to get ahead of steam out there in the open field. But they are not playing him as much this season due to Ty J Spears. And that is hurting his floor. It, it doesn't give him as many. I think in week one, we saw it where he had a so-so game running the ball, but he had 56 or something yards receiving and he was able to put together a pretty good game based on that and we're not seeing that on a consistent basis this year which does make him uh, a little bit worrisome uh they still he does still have a very high touch floor and if they're going to score a touchdown running the ball it's very likely going to be him but uh, we're starting to get into that range where we we need him to score a touchdown for him to really pay off he averaged a league high 23.9 touches per game last year, and he's been under that mark by at least six and two of three contests so far because of the game scripts. So that's why we go to the other side of the ball and say, well, Joe Burrow is clearly not Joe Burrow right now. So much so that I'm even more than happy at a one-for-one -one position where as long as he doesn't throw over 400 yards, he doesn't kill me, I'm more than happy starting Russell Wilson, Brock Purdy, those kind of guys over Joe Burrow just for this week because their matchups are significantly better and I have more confidence in them. But Joe Burrow, 98% of his snaps last week from shotgun as they try to protect him. At least we know they kept Jamar Chase and T. Higgins involved. T. Higgins did not get there again, but where do you have T. Higgins ranked for everyone trying to parse through where to start him this week? Yeah, I mean, I'm you know maybe a little bit more bullish on this uh, prospects here for Joe Burrow and the passing game maybe than you are. He was uh, estimated to be a full uh, participant in practice. Doesn't have the sleeve on his calf anymore, so maybe he's getting back oh, okay. closer to 100 this this week. Uh, the Titans are they're they're a pass funnel. I mean, they're really good against the run. Uh, I would not be surprised if Burrow attempts 40 passes uh, in this game. And that I think boosts uh, TJ Hig or T Higgins into wide receiver two territory, where just from a production standpoint, 
Uh, I think he had the one big game in week two, but week one, week three has been really disappointing. But I think uh, they get it going. Both Higgins and uh, Chase probably deliver uh, starter caliber numbers this week against the Titans. Uh, again, a pass funnel that uh, I like to target in, uh, you know quarterbacks and, and receivers against this team. For me, it's definitely not about the defensive matchup. We're not worried about the Titans' sieve of a secondary. It's down to Burrow's health, which is why when people call it get-right spot, I'm like, it doesn't. The Titans don't also magically heal you. That's not a get-right spot. Get-right spot because they're so bad. Uh, Burrow's been under five and a half yards per attempt in all three games. He threw 49 times against the Rams, and he only got to 259 yards. Like that's miserable. So I'm still a little worried. Again. I, I don't care about the one-for-one one position. I'll gladly take the safer quarterback with an equally high ceiling, in my opinion. But the calf sleeve coming off is news to me. That's great news. And very quickly, before we move on from this one, Joe Mixon's last two games without Chris Evans, who had a knee injury in week two and a healthy scratch in week three, 94% of the team's running back carries, 90% of their running back touches. The ball does not go anywhere else, since they're obviously not playing Travion Williams in any role ahead of Joe Mixon. So keep starting Joe Mixon, even though the Bengals obviously suck at running the ball. Well, you also have the Titans 2.7 yards per uh, carry allowed to running back. So it's definitely a volume play and you're hoping he can like Jerome Ford did last week, fall in the end zone once or twice. Oh, let's get there because the Ravens are taking on the Browns and I left last week encouraged about Jerome Ford. And so I'm curious to get your ranking on him for everyone because in the first half alone, very clearly, pass-heavy game plan the Browns had going in. 24 dropbacks to six running back carries. Even then in the first half, Jerome Ford, 60% of their team snaps and 13 routes to Kareem Hunt and Pierre Strong's combined two. They didn't want to use any other running back. And Jerome Ford still got there in a pass-heavy game script because of his route participation. Even that receiving touchdown he had was a double move. I saw Josh Norris, underdog zone, mentioned that Jerome Ford played wide receiver in high school. And you could tell when you watch the film that they're not just throwing him out there for flat routes. Like he's actually running legit receiver routes. So ranking for Jerome Ford this week. Uh, he's coming in a little bit higher than consensus. Uh, he's at Good. RB 22. Uh, Baltimore's 23rd, just a fancy points allowed to running backs. I'm, you know, I'm fairly optimistic about this uh, game. He did. He was 56% snaps last week. Uh, Cream Hunt was at 20. Pierre Strong was at 11. Touches are maybe you could comment on the touches, but for, Ford had 12. Cream Hunt had seven. Pierre Strong had six. Uh, I'm not sure if that was a game script situation, uh, but Ford was not really there at the start, and then got. I mean, he started, but he wasn't getting a lot of touches early on, and. Uh, they, you know, they ramped up his workload and get, got on the 12 touches and the two touchdowns. So, you know, I'm reasonably optimistic about him just moving forward as the RB1 here. But it is interesting that they involve Pierre Strong here after uh, adding Cream Hunt uh, as the RB2 to Ford. And for the wide receivers, it's clear what's happening here that only two players matter in their passing game at that position Elijah Moore. 25.2% target share. Amari Cooper, 24.9%. David Njoku next on the team with 11% of the targets. Hasn't reached five targets in any game just yet. So I consider, like Tyler Higby, like all the other tight ends, uh, I consider David Njoku strictly a matchup player at this point since he's not earning targets. And I will play him in softer matchups as such. But right now it's clear 
Cooper and Elijah Moore. Moore hasn't gotten there for fantasy just yet, but you would think it's coming. He also has six carries through three games as well. On the Ravens side of the ball, it's also getting pretty condensed because it is Zay Flowers, Mark Andrews, and Odell Beckham, who is not practicing after that ankle injury in week two and didn't, wasn't earning targets before that anyways. Uh, Rashad Bateman came out after week three and said he restrained his hamstring. So Rashad Bateman's closer to a, a what-if for his entire career than he is being a flex option for us so far this season. Um, so what are you doing now with these pieces? They're shifting running back landmines included. Well, I think maybe one of the underreported uh, stories or trends here is that the Cleveland defense is so good uh, through three weeks. Now, will that continue? I don't know. They were a good fantasy defense last year, and they spent a lot. If you remember when we, I did my, you know, which teams invested in defense. Uh, the Browns, I believe, were one of those teams that were fairly high, big spenders in, on that side of the ball. It's paying off. Uh, they're They're just tough to run on. They're tough to throw on. Uh, so Zay Flowers is lower than he's been in the last couple of weeks. I, had, I think I had him ranked as a low-end wide receiver two. He's more of a wide receiver three in the rankings uh, this week. Although, as you mentioned, you know the the there's attrition at the receiver position with Beckham, uh, Bateman dinged up or out. Uh, so it's really Zay Flowers, you know, Mark Andrews, and I think Nelson Aguilar has been operating as maybe the third receiver there with those, you know, behind those two in terms of target tree. So um, I'm not super optimistic about the Baltimore passing game this week due to the matchup with the, a very stingy uh, Cleveland defense. And I do, yes, like you said, um, in reference to who the Browns have played so far, the Browns defense is very good, but I wonder if they're that good. I'm still somewhat skeptical. At the same time, the Ravens have so many injuries. It seems like they may be getting back Marcus Williams and Marlon Humphrey this week, which would make this a total to probably bet the under on. But I'm still worried about Ronnie Stanley and Tyler Linderbaum and their offensive line. That's the injuries I go back to because then whatever I think about the Browns defense is irrelevant because they still probably get to Lamar Jackson quite easily. For the running backs as well, I think Melvin Gordon is the play in deeper leagues since Gus Edwards, I believe, is still in the concussion protocol, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I got him ranked the highest of, of the Baltimore running backs at 34, so he's a okay. low-end uh, RB3. Uh, that's the best matchup in, against this Cleveland defense. I mean, Cleveland's third in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks, first in adjusted fantasy points allowed to uh, receivers and 13th against running backs. So, I mean, it's only three weeks of data. I mean, things are going to shake out further, but the, the best matchup really is, is Gordon. Um, unless you look at Andrews, there's six against tight ends. So it's, it's just a tough defense all around to score on. Everyone is panicking about Justin Fields and rightfully so, even though he did have a season high 11 carries this past game, because even with 24 carries, through three weeks, he is still the QB 14 in points per game, just not delivering anything higher than a 12th overall finish among quarterbacks to date. So where are you ranking him in what should be, you talk about a get-right spot, technically on paper should be the easiest performance for Justin Fields this season? I've got him at 10. Uh, Denver is uh, 31st adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks, which is amazing that there's somebody, a team that's worse, and it's the uh, 
it's the the Cardinals and adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks after what Tua did last week. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Fields kind of called his shot after week two in that he was going to go back to way, the way he knew how to play, which is, I think, more scrambles and taking off and running a little bit more. Um, this will be a weird game. This is like the the movable object and the irresistible force of the, you know, the movable object of the Denver defense and the resistible force of the, the Chicago offense, like which is, which unit is worse uh, as to how the ball is moving and how many points are scored in this one. Cause you know, both sides, I mean, I think the Denver offense has the advantage on the, on the uh, Chicago defense, uh, but I don't know who's got the advantage on the other side of the ball. So uh, fields though, you know, has always got that 40, 50, yard floor as a runner if he's running uh and they did seem to let him run more last week than they did the first two weeks uh and he obviously has 100 yard you know rushing upside with a touchdown uh as well that's how he got there as a fantasy star uh last year it seems crazy to say but broncos offense is as safe as they come they're scoring a touchdown on the 10th highest rate of their drives russell wilson's the qb8 in fantasy points per game and that's without them playing their best player on offense at all since even this past week, Marvin Mims yet again, just 11 routes, but still over 70 receiving yards, not to mention that 99 yard kick return for a touchdown. At some point, the flip switches. I, I mentioned that in the waiver wire column that we need to be ahead on Marvin Mims. I don't know when it's coming, but the more Cortland Sutton who has had a 28% target share the past two weeks, since Jerry Judy is very clearly still banged up, uh, Sutton fumbles twice on Sunday and that blowout, including within 30 seconds of the halftime, which gave the Dolphins back the ball inside Denver's 20. Brandon Johnston, two penalties that eliminated two touchdowns in that game for pick plays and holding. The more these errors happen from the rest of the Broncos receivers and the better Marvin Mims continues to play, they just can't help. Peyton cannot help but eventually put him in the lineup. So he's someone... After a you lose by 50 points, I just tell myself, if I have question marks about wide receivers, if I have Jahan Dotson, um, these other guys we have questions about, it's like, this has to be the game. Like Even if it's the fourth most routes run among Denver, that's better than being seven. So I don't mind Marvin Mims if you are getting desperate out there, and I still want to be ahead on him compared to everyone else. Yeah, I think, as, you know, we, not all of our listeners are in these leagues where Mims is necessarily rostered uh, either. So I think if he's out there, after, even after a couple of good games, if he's still out there, stash him. And maybe you're not starting him every week, but Judy's banged up. Sutton is, you know, a little older, could could lose some snaps. If he, if he gets into this wide receiver two, wide receiver three routes run for, for Denver and as efficient as the offense has been, then that's going to be a boon for him. And... For the running backs, where do you have Javante Williams? Right now, both Cleo Herbert and Roshan Johnson, although it's a two-headed backfield, we like that, are unplayable. But for Javante Williams, I think this is the game everyone's targeting. He was involved also for 80% of the team's backfield touches in the first half until, of course, it was a blowout, and then they started mixing in both P. Ryan and McLaughlin. But how do you have him ranked for week four? I haven't ranked around 19, 18, 19. I think this is a good spot for him against the Bears. Uh, they're not great against the run. Um, they were uh, obviously the week one against the 
Aaron Jones was a really bad game for them. Uh, Javante, the matchup is great. 31st in just a fancy points allowed uh, to running backs. The Bears are. I do think that there is a, a scenario where um, Khalil Herbert and uh, Roshan Johnson are playable. Uh, Denver is actually last in the league and uh, fancy points, just fancy points allowed to running backs. Obviously, the game last week played in a big, big part of that. And I think there's this game could be high scoring because neither defense is particularly good. So, I, you know, there's a way that they get there, but I have them both ranked in the 30s. So it's not like you're you're trying to start Johnson or, or Herbert in this game. You just might have to. And I think it's worth it's a worthy dart throw given given the matchup. Raiders at the Chargers and another matchup I'm pissed off about because if we get Garoppolo, this game is hot considering the Chargers can't stop anyone through the air. The only defense in the league allowing, or one of only two defenses in the league allowing 130 receiving yards from the slot and one of only two defenses allowing 120 yards from the boundary. However you want to attack the Chargers through the air, you can have your way. But if it's Brian Hoyer, no one will have their way except Devontae Adams because Adams survives no matter what happens, and Hoyer in his last two starts literally benched in both for the Patriots. We have zero faith he can carry a passing game in this one. So where are you ranking Jacoby Myers, who we have seen still pop with Devontae Adams, both who are now earning 73% of the Raiders' targets since the ball goes nowhere else? Yeah, the Chargers are 31st adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers. They've really struggled against the pass, uh, but... If Garoppolo's out, and I assume that he will be out given the nature of concussions, you almost always miss the next week. Uh, we don't. We're not even sure it's Hoyer. Uh, it might be that uh, Aiden O'Connell. I mean, I <laughs> I want it to be O'Connell, but O'Connell hasn't been active yet, so we just have to assume yeah. it's Hoyer. But then also we have to assume he's getting benched because that's all he's done. <laughs> I got uh, Myers at thirty-eight, so a less confident play. I think Devontae still is a pretty confident wide receiver one. He, he should see most targets from Hoyer, so you just sort of start him every week. Is there any concern for Josh Jacobs, who is clearly struggling? What we're seeing is these running backs, Javante, Breesaw, Jacobs, uh, get more touches. Like, they are earning the touches, but they're still being so inefficient with them because of what happened last year. That's kind of what you argue when you say you're playing the long game with recovering ACLs for Brees and Javante, and then for Jacobs leading the league in touches. Uh, his bones just grinded down and now behind a worse offensive line, according to like last year's and this year's metrics. It just seems like despite getting the touches, obviously the efficiency is not there. Uh, yeah, it's a volume play if you're going to start him. And this is a weird week, uh, specifically at the running back position. There's usually 10 or 12 running backs that I feel great about, sometimes more, uh, given their matchups and talent. But I think this week uh, there's five that I feel great about. Uh, McCaffrey, Pollard, Bijan, Kenneth Walker, and Travis Etienne. After that, eh, you know, maybe Mostert, and then you got Henry just with volume, and Jacobs with volume, and James Cook, but he doesn't score touchdowns, and Kyron Williams, we talked about him. So it's one of those things where Jacobs, okay, you roll him out there because you, you know, you got a pretty good chance at 15 to 20 touches, and we usually follow the touches when it comes to, to fantasy points for running backs. On to the main event because everyone fought for either or both Josh Palmer and Quentin Johnston on waivers. What we saw last week, in my opinion, is evidence that Palmer is the short-term plan. Johnston can still get there because the Raiders' secondary is also so bad. But whenever Mike Williams was carted off in the third quarter last week, it was Keenan Allen and Palmer who ran around on 100% of Herbert's dropbacks through overtime, 
10 dropbacks. Quentin Johnston was only out there for three of those routes, playing exclusively from three wide sets. So where do you have those two ranked for this week? Yeah, I completely agree that Palmer in, in the short term is the uh, is the better play. Uh, in the long term, I think there's an argument for Quentin Johnston that, you know, we saw what Palmer could do last year in a um, bigger role, and he did all right. Like, uh, you know, in the games that um, Keenan Allen and or, or uh, Mike Williams missed, he did produce uh, the two games where Williams missed Palmer averaged six carries or catches for 58 yards on nine targets, played 94% of the snaps. So we're going to see that sort of route running uh, usage from him when either Williams or Keenan Allen missed last year, seven games, Palmer averaged five catches for 50 yards and 0.14 touchdowns on 7.7 targets. So not a huge amount of scoring of touchdowns, but you know, 9.0, 7.7 targets, that sort of usage is great. Last week, he had uh, four for 66 and a touchdown on seven targets against Minnesota. Uh, he had the really slow week one, week two. He's not uh, a great talent. He's not going to solve your receiver problem, but he gives you another player that you can plug in uh, in good matchups and possibly get a week like you got last week with four for 66 and a touchdown. So um, the thing I want to mention, mention on Johnston is he's going from wide receiver four to wide receiver three and that means if, if that's the case and he's getting those wide receiver three snaps he's going to see the biggest jump in playing time from whatever 20 30 percent up to 70 80 percent and that could lead to a spike in production for him he just hasn't been able to beat out palmer to this point and that that's what makes me worried about him uh certainly in the short term uh, he certainly should be added and somebody to be stashed for the, the late in the season because we have seen time and time again that rookie uh, receivers, especially ones with you know high draft capital, tend to emerge or explode at the end of the season, uh, heading into their sophomore season. And for Johnston, my other concern is that at six three two oh eight, I'm still curious how they'll use him because they tried throwing the ball to him downfield in the preseason, but the incorrect analysis, and maybe he grows into a role that he didn't do well in college, but everyone tries to pigeonhole him into Mike Williams role. But the issue is he wasn't good at downfield catches in college at TCU. He recorded the 11th fewest contested catches out of 102 receivers with hundred targets in the power five. Uh, just like Chase Claypool in the league, who's been terrible at getting downfield and doing contested catches. Johnston actually needs to be used underneath. Like he needs to be able to leverage that 7.7 .7 yards after the catch per reception that he averaged in college and just turn up field, not be swung 20 yards downfield because I don't think he's capable of doing that. There was a report from the athletic that the chargers are purposely bringing him along slowly. That's why Palmer is playing ahead of him. And so I do wonder why, if that's what they're, I do wonder if that's what they've been training him for. So we'll just be curious to see his usage this week, but right now, yes, Josh Palmer definitely over Johnston, although it could be as early as week six, since the Chargers go into their bye in week five, that Johnston emerges in two wide sets instead. Also, I, wanted, I just wanted to mention the tight ends as well. I don't know if you were going to go to that, but Ger Gerald Everett, I think, is a little more startable. Uh, and Donald Parham really? is like, what? You think Everett's not more more startable? I mean, both are on oh, okay. thin ice, but sure. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think Everett, like, there's a, there's a scenario where they're not going to trust Johnston as much. Maybe they play more 12. Uh, I don't think Parham, I mean, I think Parham is like a touchdown or bust type player, but 
Um, I think Everett certainly could now fill the role as the number three option uh, there in that passing game. But then, you know, Austin Eckler comes back and things kind of shift. But as of right now, you know, Everett is ranked a little bit higher than where I had him the last couple of weeks because of this uh, shift uh, from with the Mike uh, Williams injury. I think there is a some upside for him there uh, in the tight end two ranks. Uh, be careful how you speak about Parham. Your tight end six in points per game on 33 receiving yards. The man is the man is somehow surviving. And quickly for Josh Kelly, if you want to quit, everyone listening and in your rankings, even Paulson, if you want to quit him, that's fine. I don't blame anyone. But I will say last week, he got 86% of the backfield touches. I like to follow usage. Don't pay attention that his last two games, he's turned 25 touches into 56 yards. I know it's been bad. He only has two targets, one catch for five yards, but he still sees everything so i kind of jam him up there like alongside jerome ford although i would start ford over him and say you're getting all the touches for one more week assuming eckler's out because eckler's eyeing that week five bye i'll start you one more time 158 total yards on average allowed by the raiders to opposing backfields if it's if it's gonna happen it's gonna be this week against the raiders this is about as good a matchup as he could uh hope to get everyone is tried selling me on Najee Harris because it's supposedly a get right spot, but they don't understand that the Raiders this year have been a worse run defense than the Texans. So it's like last week, 19 carries for 65 yards was Najee's get right spot. And he did not get right. So it doesn't work like that for the Patriots at the Cowboys. We saw Dallas have their foot on the gas for the first time all year. And we got a season high route rate, 79% routes for Tony Pollard as an every down running back. We got a season-high route rate, 64%, which is not an elite threshold, but still, Jake Ferguson, foot on the gas. Ferguson also still second among all tight ends and red zone targets, just behind T.G. Hawkinson, 8-7. to seven. And then, of course, a three-wide set that we thought between CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Brandon Cooks, all who recorded seven targets with Ferguson. So how are you parsing between these wide receivers moving forward? Uh, Ferguson, I you know I have ranked uh, tight end thirteen this week. New England is middle of the road against tight ends. Uh, C.D. Lamb's a, a solid our wide receiver one. Uh, New England is fourth against the receiver position, so it is a bit tougher of a matchup for him than he's used to. Um, I don't you know have a ton of confidence in Gallup, even though he had a pretty good game last week. Uh, Brandon Cooks, like it's just hard to get behind any of these guys due to the you know volume that they're likely to see behind Lamb. I think I think the interesting guy is Ferguson because he you know he plays a position where he just doesn't get you know doesn't get a whole lot of targets and he's been seeing pretty consistent targets and as you mentioned uh, consistent red zone targets and I you know, he, he was he's basically delivered uh, Dalton Schultz numbers so far uh, from a fantasy standpoint so I I'm not real high on Dak Prescott uh, I do think that they kind of go with a I mean New England is first in both quarterback and running back fantasy points allowed so they've been pretty stingy. Uh, from that standpoint, but uh, Pollard is a must no brainer must start every week. He's my number two running back this week. He's doubled up the next closest running back and carries inside the 10 yard line. So at least we're getting that usage from Pollard and for the Patriots side, it's still really only Hunter Henry or Mondre Stevenson. There's no one else you have any faith in. I know people were panicked about Zeke's carries in week three, but that was also the one game the hurricane affected as we were concerned about other games. It actually did affect that Patriots game, which then led them to just stuffing the ball on the ground instead. Yeah, I would say, you know, Ramondre is a solid RB2. I, there, I mean, there's a little bit of a 
concern this week with the revenge factor that they are giving Elliott multiple chances to score touchdowns when they otherwise would be splitting those between Stevenson and Elliott. Uh, so the revenge factor here, I think, could play into an Elliott, you know, 60-yard game with a touchdown as opposed to Stevenson getting those carries. So that's my one concern. Uh, coaches tend to uh, give players uh, against their old team opportunity more opportunities than they uh, otherwise would to score touchdowns because it's it's a good a good time for everybody uh, in the locker room. But so that's my one concern I think with Stevenson this week. But I think you have to, given the nature of the position, the, the RB two ranks this this uh, this week, he's a pretty solid start. For the Cardinals at the 49ers, yes, the 49ers are favored by two touchdowns, but the Cardinals have also covered the spread, and their first three games have been one of the friskier teams in the league. No one told them they're supposed to be tanking. Josh Downs, Jobs, also leading the league in pressure, completion rate under pressure. Um, and we've seen Marquise Brown emerge now because unlike DeAndre Hopkins, who's not getting enough of the team's pie to be usable, Marquise Brown has a 33% target share the past two weeks. He's getting fed all of the targets, and thus he is flexible every single week in this environment. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I took, uh, and I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea, but I took the I took the 49ers in my uh, survivor pool uh, for those Super mm. Bowl tickets, John. I'm always worried about division games in general. Yeah, they're favored by 14 at home, and I just feel like this is, you know, the 49ers are just a lot better than the Cardinals. And I think the 49ers are probably better than the Cowboys and, and the Giants. So I think they can get, get this one. Plus it's at home. So that's why I'm going with it. Uh, we'll see how that works out for me. I've already burned the, the, the Chiefs, so I can't use them against the Jets. Um, yeah, I think Marquise Brown, I think you hit the nail on the head. Marquise Brown is very playable as a wide receiver 3-4 type. Uh, you just, you know, you, you may not get a whole lot of scoring out of the Cardinals on a weekly basis, but he and... Uh, James Conner are getting it done with volume right now. So even though the, the 49ers are a bad matchup defensively, I think, you know, there's enough there for the Cardinals to, to produce for those two players. James Conner, who you would also start over someone like David Montgomery tonight, right? Yeah. I mean, you just get that touch floor with Conner and he's been solid enough. Uh, also, if, if the game gets out of hand, he'll catch some passes. So I, I yeah, I think Conner's is the safer play. Uh, James Conner, currently the RB13 in points per game in PPR leagues. Rondo Moore also just keeping an eye on because we can't get there when he records four receiving yards on six targets. Like his targets and routes don't matter or eight receiving yards on six targets. But the fact that they've even come out and said they want to experiment with him, I think that means running back more since he had that big 50-yard touchdown from the ground this past game. If that's the case, then we get more carries plus the six targets. Now I'm listening. Now you're just a poor man's Debo Samuel, and I'm interested in you. So something to keep an eye on this week. For the 49ers, I think the biggest news is Debo Samuel being banged up. I'm not aware of his participation. I don't believe they've practiced as of Thursday just yet, but DMP Wednesday following that injury he suffered in-game. And... If Debo's out, just like we saw with Ayuk out this past week, we know what happens. We know Kittle is then involved in the receiving game. Otherwise, when both Debo and Ayuk play, Kittle does not matter in the receiving game. Last year, we just go back to those four games Kittle started without Debo. And remember, 24% target share, 16.6 fantasy points per game, led the league in receiving touchdowns over the last five weeks of the season. 
yeah, Kittle uh, and Ayuk both get a huge bump if Debo sits. Uh, it's just that's the way it is. Uh, you know, Ayuk probably will be ranked in the top 15, top 12, somewhere in that range. And Kittle will be, uh, if not the top, he'll probably be number two tight end after uh, Travis Kelsey if uh, Debo is ruled out. Sunday Night Football, Chiefs at the Jets. The Jets signed Trevor Simeon. I don't think it matters. We're hanging our hat on Brees Hall's touches continuing to increase. The first time this past week that he handled 50% of the team's backfield touches. They've been bad, but they're touches, so at least we get that. And then Garrett Wilson, we still just need that touchdown. Um, the first two games, the wide receiver 22 and wide receiver 25 because he scored an amazing catch on a bad throw. This past week, you see what happens. Wide receiver 48 when he doesn't catch a touchdown. So it's always concerning, especially in this spot against the Chiefs defense that since Chris Jones has gotten back, they are a threat. Yeah, so Wilson's a bet-on-talent play. Uh, and normally we're talking about a bet-on-talent with a you know, quarterback 20 to 25 in the league, just kind of average, below-average play. But now we're doing a bet-on-talent with Zach Wilson who's offering amongst the lowest quality targets amongst the lowest fantasy the lowest yeah per pass attempt per target so uh yeah he needs to score a touchdown i'm you know there has to be some kind of fluky long catch because it just isn't going to be the stable uh, uh supply of targets now this is a game against the chiefs where they might throw have to throw it a lot more than they want to. And then that volume might support him as a wide receiver, three wide receiver, two, um, not from so much from a starting standpoint, but like end of, end of week scoring. I mean, he might get there based on just volume alone because he is clear far and away. The wide receiver one in this offense, there's nobody else even close. And in terms of talent or really targets, Ellen, Ellen Lazard is getting some targets, but um, it has to be a, a volume standpoint. So can the Jets stay in this game by running the ball? They might be able to, if the Chiefs struggle offensively and the defense plays out of mind. But I mean, if the Chiefs jumped out to a 14, nothing lead, you know, how much are the, are the Jets going to throw that might get them there? Yeah. The, the Jets hanging around in this game, they can run the ball, but that doesn't mean they're uh, hanging around in the game. And Dalvin cook, we've seen, he made the drop list in the waiver wire column for everyone to look at 10 and a half touches RB hasn't finished any higher than the RB 33 and PPR leagues in any game. You just can't start him. Even for the bye weeks, I can't imagine anyone being in that position. For the Chiefs side, it really comes down to Travis Kelsey and everyone else being involved. Kadarius Tony obviously injured. Just two routes this past week. I did think what was the most interesting note, though, something to consider for deeper leagues, is Rasheed Rice ran as many routes in the first quarter before it was a blowout as Sky Moore. The two wide sets were Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Justin Watson. But right after them, Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice, not a high rate, but tied one another with 45% of the team's routes. And Rasheed Rice has been their most successful receiver so far. So that's kind of the deep league note I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah, Rasheed Rice, 31% of the snaps, 18% of the snaps, 51% of the snaps in his first three games. So now he's over that half half playing time type stuff. And uh, he led all the receivers uh, with seven targets, uh, five for 59. So he's up. Justin Ross is up uh, nine to 13 to 38% of the snaps in the first three weeks. 
Um, MVS has kind of dropped uh, to 53% from being a 63 82%. Uh, player in the first two weeks, Sky Moore is basically holding steady. So it's short of, sh and so has Justin Watson. So it's you know we're sort of sort of sort of uh, shifting some routes and some some snaps to Rice and to Ross, uh, which they did say you know at the start of the year that they were going to be package players to start and that they wanted to grow their roles. And I think we're we're starting to see that. We're seeing one of them grow at least, but still none are confident starts unless you're in deeper leagues Agreed. like Scott, Scott Fishbowl, where I do start Justin Watson, but my team is good. So don't laugh at it for the final game Seahawks at the giants who are favored by one point. Let's get into the Saquon Barkley news because he did participate in practice on Thursday, trending towards playing, even if it's limited, let's assume Barkley plays. How are you treating him? Uh, you know, I, Seahawks uh, have been pretty stingy against the run uh, this year. Uh, so it's not a really, you know, a great matchup. I think, you know, we didn't see anything really out of the, the Giants running backs last week. It was a really bad offensive showing for them. Uh, but Barkley back, I think, puts him, especially with the landscape at running back right now, puts him in a high-touch, uh, low-end RB1 type role. Uh, even though it's not a great matchup, he can get there as a, as a receiver. And... For Darren Waller, I know people are freaking out, but was the tight end four in week two, so I don't know why we're losing our heads. And also, the last two games, he's led every player on that team in routes run and targets. Legitimately, nothing to be concerned about. And now Daniel Jones gets a smash spot against the Seahawks defense that has allowed 300 passing yards and 27 points in each of their first three games. It's just an obvious bounce-back spot for every one of the Giants. Yeah, it should be. Seattle's 28th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. Uh, they're 11th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. So those are the two key metrics there. And they're actually, I thought they were really stingy against the run, but uh, it looks like uh, I lost Brady on the rankings here. They're 25th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, but I think they had a low yards per carry, at least entering last week, allowed to running backs. They're so injured too. And it's not like the Giants running backs, although we didn't expect them to do anything at all, did anything on the ground anyways. Uh, you know, Brita had eight touches for 17 yards. He just happened to fall into the end zone. So whatever. If they get that production again, it doesn't matter because it's all going to be Daniel Jones in this game anyways. On the other side of the ball, everyone knows where the ball goes to. It is DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Jackson Smith and Jigba still in re irrelevant at this point of the season. So we don't even need to talk about him. But for the running backs, everyone seems to be concerned that Ken Kenneth Walker's touch share dipped to 62% compared to Zach Charbonnet, who shared the team's touches, have increased every single game. 13.5% uh, week one, 24% week two, 30 or 29% in this, this week. His snap rate also continuing to increase. So where do you have Kenneth Walker ranked right now, who's still a season-high 21 touches in week three? Yeah, you mentioned that. I was going to... I was going to counter that. Maybe they were they had so many running back touches in that particular game against the Carolina Panthers that they wanted to work Charbonnet Charbonnet into the fold a little bit more, and and that they maybe have a touch limit for for Walker, you know, right around 20, 21, 22, somewhere in there, because he's had uh, sixteen and then eighteen and then twenty one. So the same argument could be made for Walker that his touches have increased every week. So I, I'm not really concerned about him at all in this game. With that, Paulson. What else do you have on the site for everyone? Uh, Sneaky Starts got posted yesterday. I'll be doing a chat in our Discord for 
four for four subscribers uh, later this afternoon. Uh, so I think it's a uh, it's we're, we're heading into the first end of the first quarter of the season. A lot's happened. We've had a lot of injuries already, and we know a lot more about these teams. Um, but if you just keep sort of piecemealing your roster together, if you're having some injury problems, maybe get a win or two, stay close to 500. We can still make a run at the end of the season. And if you're down right now, I wouldn't even worry about it because fantasy football currently is dictated by how many Dolphins players you have. Do you have Puka and do you have the Dolphins? If so, you have a good team. Otherwise, the rest of the top seeds in your league right now, just click on their names. I guarantee you they're just scattered with non-stacks and just trying to piece together their lineup. It will come back. It will regress. It will even out. The Dolphins can't continue scoring at a 20% higher touchdown rate than every other offense. Maybe they can. They're revolutionizing offense right now. But it's going to come back. So you just have to stay with it and keep on working and keep being here with us every single week. Until then, we'll be back on the DFS show Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, if you're into that thing. So, be a little bit kinder than what's required. We'll see you next time. Go Packers! <laughs>